Welcome to For the Love of Brantford, a podcast about the evolving story of our community. This podcast is for everyone who holds a place in their heart for our beautiful city. I'm Nathan Etherington, the Program and Community Coordinator for the Brant Historical Society. I'll be sharing some information from the Brant Historical Society archives and other sources to share some history that you may not have learned in school. And I'm Andy Samwell, president of the Eagle Place Community Association, and I'm passionate about community. And for me, you'll hear about what's happening in our community now. And I'm Zila Ozels from the Brantford Public Library. I'll be speaking with experts to get an idea of where our community is going. If you have any questions or comments that you would like to share with us, fill in our feedback form on the podcast website at brantfordlibrary.ca slash FLB. We hope you join us each episode as we learn from each other and explore Brantford's past, present, and future. This is the full interview between myself, Sila, and Butterfly Way Rangers, Gwen and Susie. Can you please introduce yourselves? I'm Ranger Susie from Brantford. And I'm Ranger Gwen from Brantford. Can you tell us a bit about the Butterfly Way Project and how did you each get involved? Uh, The Butterfly Way Project, it's uh, through the David Suzuki Foundation. And it's kind of a a grassroots organization that, that came about through recognizing that our pollinators are in trouble. The main one that people are familiar with is, is the monarch and how the monarch population has uh, significantly declined and suffered over the last number of years. It's um, just people all across Canada and across North America and stuff, but Butterfly Way project, I think, is strictly uh, Canadian. But it's everybody trying to do a little bit to introduce some native species or some host species that are, are butterflies. Yeah, just just planting, making a difference one plant at a time that uh, trying to provide more native habitat that our native species require for survival. And uh, how I came to it, I was, I was involved with uh, the city of Brantford, had a, had a program there for a while called the WaterWise Initiative, where they were encouraging people to be more mindful of their water usage and of uh, like stormwater runoff. The typical thing is to have a your property be grass and grass takes a lot of water when when we're in periods of drought and so it was sort of encouraging a bit of a change over you know could you remove some of the grass could you plant items that are more drought tolerant and when I came across the um the butterfly way I I could recognize that although the goals were different the means to it were the same it's sort of like if you're planting the native species they are drought tolerant naturally. They're just adapted to, to where we are, to the climate. And those are the, the plants that our, our pollinators need to, to survive. And it's also helps with the stormwater runoff because you know grass is just very shallow rooted. And when you get a good rainfall, the, the root systems aren't absorbing that much and you have a fair amount of, of water runoff, as opposed to if you're having native plants, 
they tend to have deeper root systems and more of a storage system. It's they take in the rainwater when it comes and they hold on to it for longer because they've got a more significant root structure. I got into the Butterfly Way program because I wanted to make a difference. And, and it is making a difference in maybe not in people, but it is making a difference with the pollinators. So I, I don't even know where I saw the ad, probably on Facebook. And I joined, um, this is my second year, so I joined last year. And um, I basically what I do is I educate people uh, about the importance of planting native to support the, the pollinators that belong here. What I mean, and I'll give you an ex a good example, is that the honeybees that give us all that lovely honey really don't belong here. I mean, and here I mean Canada. Uh, they're actually European honeybees that were brought over to uh, pollinate crops for our farmers. So what's happening is the uh, native bees are now competing with the European honeybees and they're losing. So um, the European honeybees will pollinate everything. Like they, they don't, you know, they don't care. They just want the pollen and the, and the nectar. And the native bees um, will, will pollinate what they're supposed to, but they, what their instincts say they should pollinate. It makes a huge difference if, if we get rid of the plants that don't belong for us, it would be the Carolina zone. If we don't plant the plants that belong in the Carolina zone, we're going to lose all the pollinators from the Carolina zone. And, but that happens everywhere. It happens all over Canada, all over the world. And without the native bees, we're not gonna be eating. So I try and encourage people to um, plant native, don't buy stuff from the, the garden center, all your garden from the garden center. Try and put some native plants in your garden. And I'm not trying to put the, the garden centers out of business. Um, but then the other thing too, is that we really encourage that people do not plant invasive species. And those are plants that come, a lot of them are plants that come from the garden centers. They're the invasive species are ones that aren't supposed to be here either. And that's kind of the mission of the, of the butterfly mm -hmm. rangers is that, you know, you're trying to make a difference one plant at a time and, trying to educate uh, educate and, and spread the word. So I wanna add on to what, what Gwen, Gwen was saying, talking about the native bees. Ontario is home to approximately 400 different species of native bees, which account for 70% of pollination activity. You know, that, that's the lion's share, right? Uh, if, if we're not doing doing stuff to, to support those native ones, then we're gonna be in, in, in a hard spot when it comes to pollinating our, our crops that we need to eat ourselves. And as far as the, the garden centers, you know, the garden centers do, do sell native species as well, but it's, it's up to us all to be pushing them to sell more, more native ones and not to be selling invasive species. It's a, it's a, neat, uh, it's a neat initiative. When I, when I came to it, like as, as well as, recognizing the similarities. Um, I was like, yeah, this is, this is worthwhile. I wonder, you know, should I be a ranger? And I kind of reached out to um, people in the neighborhood association and saying like, you know, 
should I do it? Is there, is there interest in, in having me be a ranger? And I got kind of a good response there. And then I, there's also a, you know, a, a city page and I went on that. And again, it was like a lot of interest. It's like, okay, well, yeah, I'll, I'll be a ranger. And then lo and behold, we had, uh, there were four of us in total and we kind of got together as a team and really going gangbusters in, in Brantford and area. When you look across Canada, you know, and some of the successes that they've had, you know, it's it's a handful here and a handful in another community. And here in Brantford, I mean, on our on our Facebook page, there's over a thousand people, and there's also a map, sort of, of the Butterfly Way. And of course, not everybody's willing to, you know, be a pin on the map. But I think we're about 200, maybe close to 200 people that actually sort of have registered on on the map as being part of the the butterfly way so it's it's exciting to see the the response in in town that's awesome to hear I didn't realize it was kind of so widespread you kind of mentioned the butterflies and the bees uh and, and just in case people aren't familiar can you talk about other pollinators that there are and are there other ways other than agriculture that they kind of make up part of our ecosystem Sure. Birds pollinate, beetles pollinate, butterflies, of course, the bees, um, anything that, that goes near the flowers or has something to do with the flowers that touch the pollen, that spread the pollen, right? If birds, birds are eating seeds off of a plant and they happen to touch the pollen from one of the flowers, then they'll go to another plant and transfer that pollen. That's how we get the fruit and the vegetables and the nuts and whatever we need, right? It's through pollinization. But yeah, most people just look at bees and um, not even so much as butterflies. Really, they, they don't, people think that bees are it. And um, it's not, you know, the, the, say like the butterflies, the monarchs and the, <clears throat> all the swallowtails and all the ones, other ones that we, zillions of ones that we have here when they are um, going around looking for host plants, which are plants that they need for their caterpillars to grow, they still have to eat. So they need the nectar from the plant. So say the milkweed. So the, let's just go monarch because everybody knows monarch. So the monarchs land on the flowers, get the nectar from the flowers and touch the, pol the pollen. And then the they fly off to another milkweed plant where they land on the flowers and they spread the pollen and they, they take nectar. And then while they're there, the young ladies, you know, leave eggs and they'll leave eggs on flowers, on branches, on leaves, on other, cater on other monarch caterpillars. And then the whole process begins again. And if they don't pollinate the, um, the flowers, then we don't, get milkweed seeds to have new milkweed and that's what that's the only plant that monarchs eat so monarch caterpillars cannot survive on anything but milkweed people don't like milkweed but they like the monarchs so that's one of our big things is 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 the milkweed and really strongly encourage host plants um, so in our, in our little group, uh, we do plant sales. I tend to make sure that the plants that we are, are selling in the group 
are host plants and really good pollinator plants that are from the Carolina zone, which we are in. We strongly recommend that people, when they're starting out, the easiest thing to do is plant milkweed. Uh, if you plant dill and parsley, you can support the eastern black swallowtails. If you plant, what can I say? I, I, stinging nettle is not something that most people plant. However, it does support the red admirals. And if, so if you don't plant the plants that the caterpillars eat, then we don't get the butterflies. In return, if we don't have the caterpillars, we also lose the birds because the birds eat the caterpillars. You know, they just, they take so many bugs and insects to feed their brood. We got to have the caterpillars. You know, no one likes to see a bird take a monarch caterpillar or a chrysalis or whatever and, and eat it. But that's life. That's the way it works. And um, so we, we encourage in our group and to whoever wants to listen to plant host plants and things that, that they like. So I'll, get, I'll give you an example of how the native plants work. Plants that for us that are in the Carolina zone support the bees and the butterflies and the birds and, and whatever else that live in the Carolina zone. If we have things like petunias, impatiens, hydrangeas, our native bees don't pollinate those because they're not, that's not what their brain says they need. The bees are looking for asters and goldenrod and milkweed and Canadian enemy and coneflowers and the list goes on and on and on. Like there's, there's, so many different native plants that you can put in, but the bees that are native to here or the pollinators that are native to the Carolina zone need the plants that grow in the Carolina zone. And that, that's where we say, you know, plant native. We're not asking anybody to go and rip out their fully new landscaped yard. We're asking people to introduce native species to their yards, you know, a bit at a time. One plant here, one plant there. You know, not everybody's me who has ripped out my front lawn to put in a... <laughs> but I think a lot of people are are getting to be aware of, of invasive species and, and they've kind of like headed up to the wazoo with, with things that shouldn't be there that are taking over. So that's a good place to start is like if you're wanting to pull out those invasive things, get rid of them, put some native stuff in. You know, it's, it maybe doesn't sound like a very exciting topic or whatever, but what is exciting is, is seeing the change. Like once you start to put in these, these natives ones, and the, especially if you're putting in, in the host plants, when, when you're going outside and then you're being visited by all these butterflies. And it's like, it's so exciting. It's like, oh, look at that one. Oh, that's a morning cloak. And oh, there's the monarch. And oh, there's a giant swallowtail. And it's like, you know, I think we must look like lunatics to our neighbors because we're out there like trying, you know, chasing these butterflies around the air, trying to catch a picture when they land. But it's so, and especially if you've got kids too, it's like, you know, if you if you do happen to notice them, the caterpillars on the plants and sort of, you know, watching it through the through the life cycle. But yeah, it's, it's just really cool to 
to be out in the yard and and seeing the you know in different months you see the different the different uh, species and stuff but yeah it's really cool but it's not it's not only the the planting it's also uh, areas of your yard that you maybe want to leave a little untidy like maybe in the corner you want to have a little a little wood pile or in the fall I know Gwen likes to to touch on this is leaving some of your your leaf cover to you know it's it's a good mulch for some of your plants in the fall when you're cleaning up, you, especially if you got stems on stuff that are hollow, some of the bees will plant their plant their eggs inside the, the stem and you know it needs to be standing over the winter and that's so you've you've got some of your species that are overwintering in in the in the leaves that fall they're, they're like little um, burritos inside the curled up leaves and stuff so to be overly active trying to clean up your your yard you're throwing away the species that are overwintering so for an example my backyard there's there's no grass anymore it's plants and paths and whatnot and most years you know there's a couple of weeks when we see fireflies and this year it's like man like look at all those fireflies it was like bang 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 bang. like every second if there wasn't like a couple of dozen going off at the same time it was fascinating and then I would look over at my neighbor's backyard that's just grass and it's like oh well there's one you know, a few seconds later, oh, there's another one. And then you look back in my yard and it's just, it was like fireworks going off with all the, all the fireflies. So while, you know, the subject may seem maybe a little dry and it's like, oh, well, yeah, our pollinators, I know we should be doing something, but there, there are exciting rewards to, to making a bit of a change. So I don't know, Gwen, do you want to talk more about leaves and stuff like that sort of the more the mechanics yeah, of it I, I definitely agree uh, with Susie about the fireflies because I didn't have fireflies until I until I really got into the native planting I was doing the leaves in into the garden because it used we used to be you know that that couple who mulched their leaves and and put left them on the grass and you know we didn't know well now <clears throat> we know and like Susie, my yard is full of fireflies, full, always full of activities, whether it's birds, bees, butterflies, beetles, ladybugs. People walk by my front lawn and the kids especially stop and watch the butterflies and the bees and stuff like that. And if I'm out there, I'm talking to them or I'm showing them the caterpillars because I, I raise monarchs. I have usually have monarchs in various stages um, in captivity, which is not, I don't recommend you do it. However, I am licensed to do it. And I do that uh, because that way I know that there's going to be a few more out there surviving that wouldn't have survived. My yard is buzzing all the time. There's always something flying around in my yard at, at in my garden at the flowers um even even probably yes i wasn't home yesterday but probably yesterday there were probably bees on the flowers that are still blooming in my garden and this is november it's november so 
I am providing a habitat for our pollinators. My neighbors, like you said, Susie, are not providing habitats. I'm sorry, but my yard is a happy yard. <laughs> I don't have much grass to cut in the front. After next spring, I'll have no grass to cut in the front. I try and encourage people. I try and encourage them. It's hard. So a little bit of time. I got my neighbors to plant milkweed. That's good. And there's, there's different species of milkweed too, right? Like you don't, yes. you don't have to have the common milkweed. You could no. have the swamp milkweed, which is orange and it's not, not so big and not, not so aggressive. Swamp milkweed is pink. Oh uh, Butterf- yeah. I'm thinking, I'm thinking of the orange. butterfly, butterfly weed, right? Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Thank you, Gwen. And butterfly weed is a, is a good plant for your front garden because it doesn't grow tall like it's not very tall and it is bright bright orange replace your your impatience with or your petunias with butterfly weed and and really it's a lot less work it is a whole lot less work once you get a native garden you don't have to do anything to it because it doesn't need water it doesn't need trimming it doesn't you know it really is very easy to take care of i i will agree with that yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't require mowing. You know, it need once you put it in, it needs a bit of water until it gets established. But that that's about it. You know, and it, it will fill in. It's sort of along along that line with my my own personal experience and um, my mom when she was uh, elderly and uh, you know in and out of hospital and um, you know things would come up where it's like. I just, I can't deal with it. You know, I'm, I have to I have this other priority. It's like, if you've got, you know, your native plantings and it, it's kind of self-sufficient, you can sort of not even look at it for a month and then come back to it. And it's like, okay, I can do a little bit of this here and put around and do a little bit of that there. But it's not like, I mean, if I had a lawn and left it for a month, you know, they'd be calling the, the city on me to, uh, <laughs> to, what's that called, Gwen? Uh, you know, oh, you, you'd, you'd be getting the notice. <laughs> the notice your, the your, your, your place is unkempt and you need to, you need to deal right. with what's what. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's sort of interesting to sort of see the, um, the change in, in your mindset. Once you, once you start to do a little bit, it's, you see the rewards of it and uh, you just kind of want to, keep going it's like every every year the garden bed gets a little bit bigger and the the lawn gets a little bit smaller <laughs> it's like yeah this is the way to go there's also um seasonally you know like in the in the spring like people are itching to get out and get their plants planted and everything else whereas um those with native plants like i'm going to see plants coming up flowers coming up long before the tulips come up or the daffodils come up because I have spring ephemerals in my garden. So my spring uh, is happening. Like the bees are, are coming around and the pollinators are coming around earlier than, than say a pristine garden. Um, and then it changes so much from season to season to season. So here we are the 11th of November and my asters that are still blooming um, are, are most of them now are starting to go to seed. Well, my backyard is full of birds eating the seeds off the asters. 
not so much the bird feeders, but they're eating the native seeds, the seeds off the asters and the goldenrod. And that's what really what they need. They, you know, as much as we love feed, I love feeding the birds and watching them. They would, they prefer the asters seeds and the goldenrod seeds and the coneflower seeds. I actually planted milkweed, I think the second, for the second year, this past summer, and the first year we planted it, we were, <laughs> I first startled because we were like, something's eating the milk. We, we didn't realize. Was like, I guess the caterpillars that were eating it. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there, are, there, are, there are lots of bugs that eat milkweed. Like right. not just, um, I mean, like eat the leaves, like milkweed beetles eat the leaves. Like milkweed tends, not common milkweed, but uh, I find butterfly weed and swamp milkweed tend to attract aphids. Now the aphids suck the plant, but don't kill the plant. But then you have ants that are benefiting. So the aphids are benefiting from the milkweed. The ants are benefiting from the aphids because they milk them for their honeydew which is like a sweet sappy stuff that they you know and 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 that keeps the ants in the yard and so so in my yard I have um jack in the pulpits and I have um bloodroot and wood poppies and the ants take the after the jack in the pulpit's done, it produces this bright red ball of berries. And without the ants, we're not going to have jack in the pulpits because they take the seeds back to their nest. They eat the sweet fruit off of it. And then they push aside the seeds. Without the ants doing that to the um, jack in the pulpits, or the blood root, they're not going to grow because they they produce uh, the ants do what's called scarification. Those plants need that, so you can't let blood root seeds dry out and plant them. I learned this the hard way. <laughs> they need to be planted while they're fresh. So while they're fresh, the ants take them, take them in a nest eat the sweet stuff off of them, discard the seed in the ground somewhere where it's getting watered and staying moist. And then it, it overwinters. So it stratifies over the winter and that's how you get new plants. So, you know, milkweed in the long run benefits the other plants as well. Yeah, it's like a pretty tight little ecosystem, really. I it, mean, one thing leads yeah. to another. Yeah. 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 I just wanted to mention, uh, Gwen uh, talked about uh, goldenrod. And I just wanted to let people know goldenrod isn't what you're allergic to, it's ragweed. That seems to be a common thing that people see goldenrod and, and think they're allergic to it. And it's not, it's, uh, it's very unusual to have someone that's allergic to, to goldenrod. It's really ragweed that is the culprit. Uh, so you kind of answered my next question, but I was hoping maybe you could like, summarize a few of the points you've been sprinkling throughout our conversation. Um, 
but what are the long-term impacts of introducing more pollinator plants into an area? And I guess on the flip side, what's the impact if we lose all our pollinators and pollinator plants? Oh, that's, that's an easy one. <laughs> if we lose our pollinators, we don't eat. That's the end of it. If, if we don't have the pollinators, um, we don't eat because they're the ones that keep producing our food. So um, I did a presentation to the school one year, one day uh, last year to a school. And I said to the, the children, I said, we talked about the bees pollinating the, the flowers and we used apple trees. And I said, so what happens if we don't have bees to pollinate the apple trees? I, and, and they're like, you know, questioning me. And I said, well, we won't have any apples. So what are we gonna eat if we don't have apples? And they said, well, we'll eat vegetables. I said, but you need, there's only one type of bee that pollinates tomatoes. So if we don't, that bee isn't here anymore, we don't get tomatoes and we don't get celery and cucumbers and because you need all the flowers pollinated. Then they said, well, we'll eat meat. <laughs> we'll eat meat. And I said, um, what do the cows eat? Well, they eat grass and plants and hay and all that kind of stuff. And I said, how do we get all those plants? You know, those plants have to grow from, from seeds. How do we get the seeds? Then it clicked to them that we need the pollinators to plant, to, to pollinate the plants, to get the seeds, to get the plants that we need to eat. And they were, they were like, just gobsmacked that, <laughs> that they realized that, oh my God, we need the bees. So it is very important, very, very important that we preserve the ecosystem and, um, and, and look after these, these pollinators because without them we're not good people are not going to exist it is proven fact that um, we need the bees and the pollinators to eat and if people keep killing them off and not looking after the the ecosystem we're done and i don't mean done in the next 10 years you know but maybe in the next 100 years 200 years whatever but eventually the pollinators are going to die and we're not going to have food to eat because there isn't there isn't going to be any and i know that sounds really drastic and bad but that's the truth and so this is why we do these butterfly ways is so that pollinators can go from um, one butterfly way to the next, to the next, to the next. The more flowers we have, the more native plants and flowers we have, the more pollinators we have. And, and people need to stop using pesticides. No pesticides, no Roundup. Um, you know, stop killing the bees. They're not going to hurt you. Just, just leave them alone. Most of the native bees don't even sting you. You know, yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned that because that, that's true that the, the native species tend to be, 
you know, the more the more docile ones. Yeah, what we what we don't like <laughs> is yellow jackets and like white faced wasps. And the reason we don't like them is because they bite and they don't belong here. They are not native to Ontario or Canada or like they're not supposed to be here. They they do nothing nothing for the native pop population. They they do nothing and and um I am scared of them because I'm allergic to them. But when I'm out in my garden and I'm digging around out there and there are bumblebees and carpenter bees and sweat bees and whatever else is out there, I don't worry. I'm safe out there with them. Not safe with the, the, the wasps that don't belong here, but I'm safe with the natives. So the, the carpenter bees apparently are a little bit on the territorial side. And this summer I did, I did have a lot of them. That was sort of mostly what I, what I had in the backyard was these carpenter bees. And they're, they're kind of a little bit funny, um, amusing, funny. And uh, so, but for the fact that they are a bit territorial, they keep away the, um, the ones that you don't want, right? The, the hornets and the, you know, your having a soda pop out there and you got a whatever it is a yellow jacket or whatever I didn't see them they were not around and I'm like it's those carpenter bees <laughs> they're keeping away all those nasties so it's like it's it's just uh neat seeing how everything's interrelated and, and how it all works together so I don't know whether whether you're interested in any of the the stuff that um the butterfly way has been doing locally um, but we have been trying to um, sort of work hand in hand with the city and um, you know keep keep them motivated and trying to push them in the right direction and, and have stuff um, we were fortunate enough to get a decommissioned uh, canoe from um, a company in London I don't know if Gwen remembers the name of the company Anyway, it's uh, every year they, they have a few canoes that do not meet their specs and are not uh, seaworthy. So they, they may, I think that's not a full canoe as with all the bracing and whatever, but they punch a couple of holes in it and um, put it up for donation to groups and stuff to plant in. And what the, the connection is, it's sort of an, a nod to the, um, you know, streams that used to be around all over the place and, you know, perhaps now are underground streams. Um, and so they've, they've made them available to the, the butterfly way to plant butterfly gardens. And we were able to get one and the city, um, we have to, yeah, <laughs> we have two. One, one is waiting <laughs> for, for a home. Um, but the, the first one um, is down, at the uh, entrance to the uh, the one trail uh, down in uh, Scarf Scarf Ave, is it? Scarf Ave, yeah. And uh, yeah, so it was kind of funny because, well, first of all, so the city sort of tilted the canoe and bolted it to a couple of big boulders, and we we went expecting to plant the canoe, and they had uh, oh I don't know, like seemed like a half acre. <laughs> in front of the canoe a big pile of dirt and it's like oh here you go go crazy so so we were raking dirt and shoveling dirt and stuff for for a few hours but uh but got it all planted this is the what the second year now and uh, uh, yeah from, but from we're going to have to move 
those plants next yeah, year. Yeah, so from the from the little itty bitty plants that that we put in, it's really gone uh, gone gangbusters, and it's so it's it's a neat thing. And then also at uh, at Wilkes Dam, um, that was another area that was not being tended by the city, and um, that was our first thought for the canoe, but it was too big for there. And uh, so we've kind of uh, supplemented items that were that were at that uh, garden bed. And then um, at Myrtleville House, um, the neighborhood association, well, they were doing uh, community gardens. So vegetable gardens, I should say. So what is it, equal grounds, uh, community gardens. There are several throughout the city um, where the neighborhoods will plant uh, veggies and um, tend them and then the produce is for whoever wants to harvest it and so they came on board as well and were planting sort of supplemental gardens alongside for the for the butterflies and so there's one at Myrtleville and uh, a person donated a canoe there and that's that's more of a shady spot so we need to uh, find some better plants for that one. And then over on Ann Good Park, that's another little garden bed that um, was not being looked after by the city and that one got adopted as well. So anybody that really wants to be involved in, in the project, if there's, this, if there's a spot that, that you know of, uh, like I know the city's had a hard time um, getting employees and, um, you know, enough garden workers and there's budgetary issues and stuff as well. So if there's a spot that you know of that you would like to take care of, uh, there does seem to be a willingness on the city to have areas adopted as, as long as you're willing to make a commitment to, to stick with it. But I, I mentioned our Facebook group before, so that is the Butterfly Way no, Brantford Butterfly Way Project. And there's, you know, there's always posts, um, you know, helpful, educational, um, humorous. And another thing that's neat is, um, you know, people are posting their own successes or their own, you know, like I said, we, you know, you see a butterfly and you're going around the yard chasing it, trying to catch a picture. Well, people are in our community are are doing that and and sharing the, you know, sharing photos of their plants when they're in bloom. And no, oh, look, here is a monarch on this one. And and there's a giant swallowtail or this is a different kind of swallowtail. And so you can, you know, become part of the, the community and, um, People in the community will rejoice in the little successes that you're having too. Now, and talking about success, when I when I mentioned the at and Good Park, so I had put in um, you know just a little itty bitty little milkweed plant, and it got I don't know how tall did it get? Maybe like a foot tall or something. It was still it was still little. And one day I I walked by and it's like oh I guess I guess that milkweed isn't isn't taking because it was looking pretty sad, you know, it was, there was not much there. And then as I got closer, it wasn't that it wasn't taking, it was that there were two milkweed, uh, or there were two uh, monarch caterpillars on it. <laughs> it was like, it was like almost entirely eaten. So I thought, oh my gosh, like how desperate does this mama monarch have to be 
to lay eggs on this single little itty bitty milkweed plant. So that really goes to show you that it's like, if you plant it, they're gonna come, they're gonna find it. So luckily I was, I, I had some milkweed at home too. So I, I transported them back so they could uh, finish uh, chowing down and not, and not starve to death. But, it, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's just kind of fascinating that, yeah, just this little itty bitty plant and yeah, but there it was, they found it. I had that on my seedlings. Remember I had that on my, my swamp milkweed seedlings last year. Uh, not this summer, last summer, I started milkweed seedlings for the butterfly way. I went to start getting them to transplant them to bigger pots. And I ran my hands along them and all these monarch caterpillars fell off of these plants that are about <laughs> two inches high. Yeah, they, they find them. They just need people to put them in. We're not asking people to put in common milkweed. Most people don't like the, the fluff stuff, but swamp milkweed, butterfly weed, Sullivan's world milkweed, there's lots and lots of different kinds that are very ornamental. They don't look, you know, like the stuff you see out in the fields. And if you don't want the fluffies, wait till the fall till they're just about ready to, uh, to break open and spread their, their seeds and take the seeds off and, and disperse and, and um, like take them down to the river and just let them go at the river. Mm -hmm. And that's what I do. I've done that a couple of times now. I just take bags and pods down there and I just let them go. It's nice that you're already seeing the impacts of like the work that you guys have been doing. Um, you've already answered my last question, but <laughs> As a reminder for anyone who's listening, uh, you can be found at Brantford Butterfly Way Project on Facebook. And so people can join the group there or send messages yep. there. They do need to make sure that they answer the questions so that we can approve them because it is a closed group. So, and, and we do have uh, over a thousand members. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'll make sure grew, to include the link in our show notes as well. Yeah, it uh, it grew really quick. And uh, we've been recognized a couple of times by the Butterfly Way program during the seminars that they run. Yeah, we just, you know what, we're just out there doing the gardening, looking after the, the pollinators, doing what we can. And if everybody did a little bit, got rid of some invasive species, Put in a little bit of a garden, doesn't have to be big. A little bit helps. Every little bit helps. And even, even someone that's in an apartment and has, has a balcony, if you if you have something, a plant that even just provides nectar, right? That that is going to be a you know a feeding station along along the way is better than nothing at all. Zinnias. I highly recommend zinnias. I love as, that they're beautiful. As a, <laughs> as a nectar plant. They are not native. However, they do provide loads of pollen. And the butterflies love them. So, you know, you can't grow, you, you got an apartment, you wanna just grow flowers, grow zinnias. But you can also grow milkweed in pots. 
just a whole wealth of knowledge I think you've definitely passed on and given people things to think about. So I really appreciate your time and joining me today to do this uh, interview and share information about the Butterfly Way project. Thank you. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of For the Love of Brantford. You can find all the episodes at brantfordlibrary.ca slash FLB, including the show notes where we list references, share images, and provide resources to continue your exploration of Brantford. We are your hosts, Mandy Samuel, Nathan Etherington, and Zila Ozels. This is a podcast in partnership with the Eagle Place Community Association, the Brant Historical Society, and the Brantford Public Library.